The first thousand days of a child's life is a once-in-a-lifetime window of brain development. This is when the foundations are laid for future learning and growth. And for children to receive what they need in this stage, parents and caregivers need support, encouragement and information. We believe churches are well positioned to be that community around families. Churches, whether big or small, rich or poor, can play a part in seeing that all children get a strong start to life. This is the Sukunya podcast aimed at helping you take those steps in strengthening families. Visit www.sukunya.org.za to find out more. One in four women in South Africa will experience a miscarriage or stillbirth, having a devastating impact on the family. And it's understandable that families require additional support and care during this time, but it is a topic that is not often spoken about. Listen in to this lunchtime conversation where Sukunya explores how local churches can walk with families through grief and loss. Today's conversation is a really important conversation. So to open today's conversation, we are going to be looking at some scripture. So I'm going to share my screen with you, and the scripture that we are looking at today is Psalm 139. Um, Psalm 139 um, is a, a, a scripture we keep coming back to when we look at the first thousand days, um, but it's a beautiful a few verses that we're going to look at today just as we reflect on the topic um, of grief and loss in the first thousand days. So Psalm 139. 13 13 to 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so um, this passage really reminds us how we know that God is with us um, right from the beginning. And we know that in pregnancy, in some many of cultures, many spaces, we see people delay announcing pregnancy in the first trimester um, until the first trimester has passed and the risks have been reduced. Um, But this passage reveals that the tender care and love that God has for his children, long before they're even born, before even mom might even know that she's pregnant, God knows, God's knowledge um, of the unformed body is complete and intimate. Uh, And this is not some potential someday person being spoke of. This is a whole person for whom God has hopes and dreams and plans, just like the parents who anticipate the arrival of their children. And so today, as we think of children who um, do not um, survive pregnancy through miscarriage and stillbirth. Um, This is an important topic for us to consider how do we care for families, how do we care for moms and dads, um, and how we can pray for them at this time. So I want to open today's meeting with prayer, and then I'm going to hand over to Bryony to take us into today's conversation. So let's Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity for us to come together as a group and to talk about this important topic of grief and loss in the first thousand days. I pray that you would um, be speaking to each and every one of us as we 
think of families that we know or even our own personal situations where we have grief and loss and where we are grieving our own children. Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Um, we know that we can come to you with our grief and with our loss. And we pray that you would help us to be sensitive um, and show care and support to the families who are going through a very dark and difficult journey. I pray that you'd help us in this conversation to, to learn and to grow in our understanding um, that would help us to care better for those around us in our church and in our community. We thank you for this time and we pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to hand over to Bryony. Uh, Bryony is going to introduce our guest and introduce the topic. Thank you, Bryony. Thanks, Ruth. Um, so welcome, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. I was busy trying to share my video that I made um, of getting FTD on the map with, with my uh, foster daughter and her two-year-old brother uh, running around the beach uh, doing different letters. Um, so please do go have a look at our, our website and our um, Facebook because it's a getting FTD on the map is important um, and one of the reasons being is that when we have mums and dads that go through uh, loss it's how do we care for them during that time and um, as we all know the the first thousand days is from conception till two years so we're going to be talking about how do we care for families um, that have experienced grief and loss um, and we've got our guest speakers with us today who are Graham and Nicole joining us on two different um, um, devices so they are here with us and we're going to hear about their experience in dealing with uh, grief and loss and they're going to share with us some of the some of the statistics within our country um, some of their experiences their thoughts and tips on what helped them journey through this time um, but I want to say that despite the statistics and um, what we may know about it uh, and what parents are going through, this topic is really spoken about. Um, and I think as society, we tend to neglect um, the devastating psychological uh, effects that both parents go through. Um, and so while we may see miscarriages, stillbirths as a lesser form of loss um, or bereavement, um, it's just to remember as we're hearing the story that parents uh, see it as just as intense as any other kind of loss and requires the same kind of compassion uh, from those around them and support. So we did previously record this just in case of load shedding. So I'm going to ask Ruth to share the video and then afterwards we're going to have Graham and Nicole um, here to answer any questions. Uh, so please do uh, post questions in the chat box as the video is playing or write them down and unmute yourself afterwards to ask. Okay, thanks Ruth. To start the topic off, um, we as Sekunya, we want to say that experiencing grief and loss should never be done alone. Um, being wrapped in the warm embrace of a loving community can bring comfort to parents during this difficult time. So our question today is how can your church show the love of God to families during a time of grief and loss? Um, and we're going to start off by hearing some of the stats um, of miscarriages and stillbirths in our country. Um, but first, I'm going to ask Graham and Nicole to introduce themselves um, and to share a bit of their experience with us. And then we can go into what are the local stats for South Africa. Would, Graham, would you like to start? Start, yeah. So um, we are Graham and Nicole, as, as Rani has said. 
And um, we lost our middle daughter, Zoe, to um, a stillbirth while we were living in London. And um, she, it turns out that both Nicole and I have a blood clotting disorder. And the best guess of the hospital is that she developed uh, clots in the placenta and, and umbilical cord um, and so suffocated. And um, while in the UK, we were put in touch with an organization called SANS, which stands for Stillbirth and Neonatal Death, Death Society. And uh, we'd already booked our tickets home, and it was, uh, it was far too much of an emotional upheaval to kind of consider changing all of that. So we were only able to connect with them once before we left. And we found that meeting so helpful just to meet with other parents who had gone through a similar experience that when we got back to Cape Town, we looked for a, um, a support group like that and found nothing. And so we've started a, a group called Born Sleeping, uh, which is just a support group for parents who have lost a child either during the pregnancy or shortly after birth. Um, and we've had the privilege of, of supporting a number of couples as a result. Um, okay. Thank Nicole, you. do you want to talk about the stats and, and how important this is? Yeah, so uh, when you look at sort of international stats and when you look at stats in South Africa, they're slightly different. And the reason for that being, obviously, we're not a first world country and physically we're a very large country, which means our infrastructure isn't all that great when it comes to there being enough hospitals and enough nurses and enough doctors. So in South Africa, our stats at the moment are approximately one in four to one in five, depending on whether you're urban or rural. And that is for both um, a miscarriage and for a stillbirth. So miscarriage is up to viability uh, somewhere around 21 weeks, 22 weeks. Uh, and then after that, it would be a miscarriage. So those those stats are the same for both groups. Great, thank you. So yeah, so just confirming it's it's before 21, 22 weeks that it's a, a miscarriage and after it's right. a stillbirth. Okay. Stillbirth. Um, and what are some of the reasons for miscarriages and then maybe some of the reasons for stillbirths? As you mentioned, your own personal uh, experience, what are some of the other reasons that maybe uh, could happen? So interestingly, when, when we lost Zoe, um, the grief counsellor that we saw at the time, uh, who's a, she's a medical professional, but who specialised in, in grief counselling. And she was saying that actually, in as much as almost half of cases, there is no explanation for why it happens. And the best guess that they have is that it's like clock death, except in utero. So they actually don't, in the same way that we don't know why babies die of clock death, we have, we have some hypotheses, but nothing kind of final. In the same way, for a lot of babies, actually, they die, whether it's miscarriage or stillbirth, and, and we're not entirely sure why. For the other 50% that we do have a reason, it'll be things like chromosomal ab abnormalities, so having the wrong number of chromosomes or some kind of genetic defect, um, having some kind of misdevelopment of the fetus. So, you know, the brain doesn't develop properly or the heart doesn't develop properly or something along those lines. Um, it could be as a result of something on the mother's side. So it could be placental problems where the placenta hasn't attached correctly or detaches too early, or it could be physical injury. So if the mother's involved in a car accident or something along those lines. Um, in some cases, it could be as a result of infection in the mother, so a virus um, or some kind of bacterial infection, and that can then cause spontaneous miscarriage or stillbirth. So, I mean, the, the list is as long as, as your arm. It really it, it could be very varied. Yeah. Okay. And I'm 
That's all right, Graham. Did you want to add anything to that? No, no, no. no I think um, that's good. Some, so many uh, mums who face miscarriages or uh, stillbirths often feel guilty um, that they've caused the miscarriage. So it's, um, it, from what you're saying, it sounds like a lot of the women uh, actually can't do anything to cause a miscarriage. And I think that's something that we need to reassure moms and dads of is that they haven't done something to cause this, um, to to be left with a lot of guilt and, and shame. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's obviously various varied uh, experiences of, of this losing a baby either before or after 21 weeks around the world. Um, and what we're seeing is that it leaves a lot of, uh, or the stigma attached to it. And as I mentioned, shame and guilt. Um, and these seem to be common themes that are emerging the more we look into this and read about it. And, um, and I think that's why many mums remain silent uh, when they've lost a baby or, or during the griefing process. Um, and so, um, is there a way that, um, yeah, we can, should I say, talk out and break the silence around this? And in, in what ways can we do that um, around miscarriages and also stillbirths? Is there a difference in the way... Uh, uh, mums deal with both, but also how can we break the silence around that? I think, Absolutely. I think the grief, sorry, the, the, the guilt is... And say that when it comes to, to breaking the silence, I think that is crucial. Uh, we have this habit that we don't announce that we're pregnant until we've passed the first trimester. And quite honestly, that's rubbish because many women lose pregnancies in that first trimester and are then left with this silent grief that they feel they can't express, they can't talk about, they can't talk to anybody because nobody knew that they were pregnant in the first place. Yeah. And so actually encouraging people to, to let others know. You don't have to let the whole world, you know, all and sundry know, but at least letting the close family know or your, your close friends know that you are actually pregnant so that if something happens, um, God forbid, you know, worst case scenario, that actually you've got the support that you need because people were aware of the fact that you were pregnant. Um, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. I think also making it more commonly available, so sessions like this or talking about it in church and sermons, that actually losing a baby, whether it's miscarriage or whether it's stillbirth or whether it's neonatal death, actually during those first thousand days, um, actually it's quite common. <laughs> it's something we don't talk about, but actually it's very common. If you think it's one in four, maybe one in five, for while you're pregnant, uh, it's slightly lower after that, but that's still a lot of babies, and that's a lot of loss. Um, and actually, it's it's very common. Yeah, thank you. I think, I think the guilt is almost inevitable. I mean, in in our Zoe's case, she was considered a high risk pregnancy because of our oldest daughter was um, born very early. So we had the best possible care in the most modern and up to date city in the world and yet she still died. And dealing with that guilt of if only I had, you know, when we went to bed that night and Nicole commented that she hadn't felt the baby move, if only we'd rushed to the hospital then, maybe we could have saved her. That yeah. guilt that we could have done more, should have done more, is almost inevitable, and it's almost—it's a part of the grieving journey. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that grieving parents have to work through. Um, and where, whether the guilt is is warranted or not, is 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 it exists, and it's 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 something that parents have to have to deal with. Um, 
there was something else intelligent that I wanted to say, but I can't remember it now. <laughs> well, Graham, actually, um, I'm interested to ask because often we see miscarriages as being something the mum has to deal with and we forget yeah. about the dad. Um, and I think men do process grief very differently to mum. Sure. Um, so maybe you'd like to share your experience, but also more around how can we help dads uh, process? Sure. I mean, my experience was exactly that. You know, we had an 18-month-old toddler in the house. Uh, Nicole fell apart um, and was completely traumatized by the experience. And so I had to go into kind of strong protector mode um, because, you know, we still had to eat and we, Janelle had to be looked after and, and so on and so on. And so for five years, I put all my feelings in a box and, and locked them there and, and didn't deal with them. Um, and it wasn't until a member of our church lovingly confronted me and said, you know, you can't deal with this on your own. You need someone to help you. Um, that I really began to unpack all of the questions that, um, that, that I had. And that was the intelligent thing I was going to say earlier. I think, um, one of the challenges of losing a child so young is that it really challenges our belief systems, um, particularly the, the 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 story that we tell ourselves that you know God is has a plan and is in charge of the universe. And something traumatic like this really challenges that, because you know, and someone who's lived a life and and then dies, you can say, well, they had a good innings, or they the risky behaviors or whatever and so they died and that's natural but when a child dies before they're even born you go well, what did the child do to deserve that mm -hmm. um and it, it speaks back to the guilt because maybe the parents had something to do with it but it really challenges this idea that that god's got everything in in control um and that that was a, a real issue that i had to work through you know um this whole why me question, why did this happen? Why do things like this happen? How can a loving God let things like this happen? Um, and that's not an easy one. And that you can understand why many preachers don't address that from the pulpit because that's not a lot of fun to, to get right. Um, and so it's kind of understandable that, that um, churches are less vocal about this than perhaps they need to be. Yeah. But, but wrestling with that those questions again is part of the the recovery process. Mm -hmm. um, they're important questions that need to be looked at and need to be examined. Um, and some kind of resolution found. I'm not saying there's a glib answer. I'm not sure that I've completely resolved everything around that. But um, yeah, it's part of the healing process that you need to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for sharing that with us, Graham. Um, you, you mentioned that it is a difficult topic for churches to talk about. And I don't know, Nicole, if you want to share some of what you went through. Um, but then how do we, if you have any tips or ideas of how do we uh, encourage churches to talk about this? Um, but also, did you, as you say, you're still processing it. Did you ever... Um, challenge God on this to come up with something that pastors can use to address this issue in their in their congregation um I don't know Nicole would you like to share um, yeah so I think we were very fortunate that I was already part of a mum's group who came around and were so incredibly support supportive of me um I I realized in in the process of going through my own grief journey that actually as much as I came from a charismatic 
evangelical background, actually I'd swallowed a whole lot of prosperity gospel truth. And so I had to work through that and work through this idea that actually bad stuff does happen to Christians. And, and that's, you know, that's just what it is. And I got to a point where I was so angry with God that I literally could not pray. I could not be in God's presence. I couldn't talk to him because I just couldn't handle how angry I was and how, yeah, it was very difficult. And I went to my mom's group the one day and I was chatting to, to some of the ladies about it. And immediately their, their response to me was, that's okay. It's okay to be angry with God. It's okay to be in a difficult space. It's okay to feel like you can't talk to him. And I think one of the things I found very helpful was, was that their response was, we will continue to hold you. We will continue to bring you before God. We will, we will be the priest, the mediator between you and God in this time. And we will show you God's love in a practical way that maybe you can't experience because you are so full of anger at this point. And just knowing that there were people holding me, that it was okay to struggle, it was okay to be not okay, uh, made such a difference for me in, in my grief journey. It really, really did. Um, yeah, I mean, those those ladies are still very close to my heart and, and, and wonderful human beings because they made it possible for me to not step away from my faith and not go, well, if that's what God's going to allow, then, then I'm out of here. Cheers. I, I can't accept and I can't believe anymore they made it possible for me to have a safe space to question and to wrestle with my, my doubts. And I think that is so important for us as a church. I think, you know, my, our, our biggest tip is, is, is don't, don't speak platitudes. Don't, don't do the kind of, you know, well, God is in charge of everything and it's all going to be okay in the end and all things work together for the good of those who love God. And, you know, that it, those things may well be true, but it's not helpful in that moment. Um, it's yeah that's literally just rubbing salt in the wound I, I think it's much better to come alongside and to grieve with those who grieve to mourn with those who mourn and not to try and fix things for other people um you know when someone is in a grief journey you can't fix that overnight it's not something that happens in even six weeks or two months or six months um and it's so hard for us because in our culture we don't we don't deal well with grief we don't deal well with with emotions and so letting someone wallow apparently seemingly in their in their grief feels counterintuitive to us and yet that's exactly what that individual needs you, you when you're in that grief journey you've got to walk the road and it's a long road you know we're talking years it's not it's not something that's over quickly and to give people the space and the safety to be able to do that is is really important I think yeah thank you for that Graham I don't know if you have yeah, I think, I mean, some of the things, you know, the things that churches are good at uh, around offering meals and, and so on are, are great and wonderful and helpful. Um, although these things, there are always ways in which they can be done and ways in which they shouldn't be done. Um, I mean, one of the most special times was someone who bought us a meal and just invited himself in and sat with us for a while, as opposed to others who kind of, dropped the meal at the doorstep and fled. Um, and just Nigel wasn't someone we knew well, but he just sat and chatted about stuff. And mm -hmm. for a little moment, there was a window of normality. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it was so good to, to just kind of take a breath. Um, <laughs> at the same time, 
there was a day where uh, the rosters got mixed up and two meals arrived and suddenly we had pasta and mince and I can remember standing in front of the fridge in tears because it was too much of a decision to make to decide which meal to eat for supper. You know, that's the kind of level of, of grief and trauma we're talking about where you just have no energy for anything and to decide between two free meals was too hard. Um, yeah. You know, um, you when if you've not been through a traumatic event like this, you really don't fully understand how deep that grief goes, how deep that anger goes. Um, and as Nicole said, it, you know, for you in your life where things are kind of trundling on as normal, a platitude like God is large and in charge or, um, you know, makes sense because it fits with what your experience. Um, and, yeah, the refrain that we so often use is it may be true, but it's not helpful, um, is very, very uh, useful. Um, things, many, many scriptures are definitely true, but they're not helpful in those uh, times of grief. Um, yeah. And probably um, we at Sekunya do say that you see mom and see dad for where they're at. It's the concept of seeing. Um, and so, yeah, I was dreaming a hell of a lot. So thank you, Graham, for sharing that because I think a lot of us, you know, all those who have not been through it may think, okay, drop the meal at the door and, and leave because they don't want to be disturbed. Whereas actually for you guys, it actually helped having someone come into your house and, and talk. Um, and so I think having, having said that, having said that, you really do let, <laughs> need to let the, the people who are in the grief guide you because yeah. there are days where you don't want to see anybody, you know, and when people start coming back into the work life or the church life, <clears throat> there will be days where they want nothing more than to talk about the child that's gone. And there'll be other days where that'll be too much and they will, they'll not want to. Yeah. Um, and so you really need to be very sensitive to where they are right now and where they are in 10 minutes time may be different to where they are right now. And that that's hard. And so it's understandable that some people just try, you know, perhaps avoid the issue a little bit, but that's probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Um, so like know, that to, does fit in with the see see where they're at. So see mom and dad for where they're at, as you're saying. 100%, and, and yeah. reads from them as to what would be helpful in that moment. Um, but I think uh, I love you, you both co-wrote uh, day 15 on our um, devotional for uh, why First Thousand Days Matter. And I love some of the things that you said in there where it's to allow the loss as uh, real or acknowledge that the loss is real um, and never to underestimate the impacts of what a miscarriage can have on a family, um, especially as you mentioned, Nicole, because of our uh, custom to not announce that we're pregnant for the first three months um, and yeah. so a lot of a lot of parents uh, end up uh, grieving in quiet because nobody knew they were pregnant um, but also not to minimize that and go oh well yeah you you were just three months don't worry you'll have another baby because I think maybe <laughs> that right and it's not, <laughs> not helpful heard, yeah not helpful or the um you know, Brene Brown does a, a wonderful uh, movie on uh, empathy, which goes and she says, rather than saying, at least, you know, you can get pregnant, 
you know, to baby ask and listen and ask how how are you, um, mm. not making comments like that. But you also mentioned to allow them the space to be able to speak about their baby or not, as you just mentioned, Graham, and um, and not to be afraid as the church or individual supporting families not to be afraid to hear about that and to ask the questions um, and simply to be there to hold them uh, to to listen and hold could be physical hug or as you mentioned, Nicole, like um, a group of ladies holding the space for you um i love the fact that as you said the mom's group actually said we'll be the ones to pray for you you don't have to pray like taking that pressure off you and going i should yeah. be praying or should be doing this but allowing you to process your your anger um and also as you said to, you're questioning faith um you're questioning scripture you're questioning everything and, and to allow them that or, and they allowed you that space um and i love the fact that you could say you've come back around from that right <laughs> so oh yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah and, and since so the platitudes as you mentioned not to not to say things like uh, at least you you already have a healthy child I, I don't know if you might have heard that but more um I'm deeply sorry for your loss um or the phrase of everything happens for a reason if it wasn't mm -hmm. meant to be um yeah, and just being able to say things like, I'm sorry, I can imagine this was very hard. Um, and just, I, I don't know, does any of that resonate with you? Would that be more yeah. helpful to hear? Definitely, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, those, you know, we try so hard. We're so well-intentioned. Um, we really, we want to help people all the time. That, like, that's that's what it means to be filled with Christ, is, is that we're constantly trying to help one another and, and to be there and support, be supportive. Yeah. But those kind of statements, um, they just, they wound so deeply. Um, and I think particularly with miscarriage, I think losing a baby three, four, five, six weeks into a pregnancy, a lot of people would tend to minimize that and go, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really a person. It wasn't really a baby. You hardly even knew that you were pregnant. But it's when you lose a child before birth, it's it's as much a loss of a dream as it is the loss of an individual. And I think we, at our peril, we minimize the effect of, of that loss of the dream, of the hope of, I was going to be a mother, I was going to be a father, I was going to have a child. And that for many people is wrapped up as part of their identity, that actually they feel called to parenthood in a way that, that many others don't. And so the loss of a child, whether it's you know, three days in or whether it's three days before before labor, th the grief is the same. Um, it, it is a very, very deep grief. And I think, yeah, I think we minimize people's experiences at our peril. And, and when we minimize people's experiences with these off the cuff, not really thought through statements, I think not only do we end up wounding those individuals quite deeply and breaking, possibly breaking the relationship with them, but we also push them out of out of the church because the message we're we're unconsciously sending is actually the church and, and God don't really care like we just want to sweep it under the carpet we want it to be done we want you to move on and be okay and and that's really not the message we want to be sending yeah thank you Nicole. I think related to that it's important to acknowledge other kinds of loss kind of related so you know parents are going through IVF and it's not working and it's not working parents who are wanting to adopt and the bureaucracy is taking forever and a day to get there. Um, you know, parents who've abandoned any hope of having children. Um, 
single people who would desperately love to have children and and can't or you know are not able to because they want to be in a relationship when they do um those are all the kind of what nicole was talking about that loss of that dream of of parenthood um and they're all similar kinds of grief and it's important that that we as a community acknowledge them all as real and 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 dev potentially dev devastating yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for that, Grim. Yeah, and I think uh, for those who are joining the lunchtime conversation today, it's it's really good to notice, as you say, it's not just loss of a baby. There's all the other ways of experiencing loss in the first thousand days, um, and it is that loss of a dream. Um, and and I think as as you mentioned, it calls also questioning questioning God and seeing yeah God and church not accepting you, and if if it's minimized. So I think we need to. To sensitize, um, I guess, or make our, our in church churches and Christ followers aware that there's many different ways of loss um, that families can experience. But it's yeah. using that sensitivity and empathy um, and allowing a space for parents or families to come um, and feel like they're supported. So um, I think one of the things that I'm very aware of is also each year, I don't know if you... Um, remember Zoe each year on on the day that she passed um yeah. we we do the same in my family with my brother who passed away every year and it's actually a nice way to remember to remember and to make it special mm -hmm. to and acknowledge that that person is still part of your your family um that child's still part of your family um and so I think for the churches that are represented here in the lunchtime conversation, um, looking at how we can be a, a first thousand day friendly church, um, looking at speak up. I think we've heard from you, Graham, around how do we speak about um, this topic in our congregation around women and dads facing loss? How do we address how dads grieve versus mum grieving? Um, and as you mentioned, we should see that every baby conceived is how God sees us. So it's speaking up and breaking that silence and just saying it doesn't matter whether, as you mentioned, Nicole, three days after falling pregnant or three days before giving birth or three days after giving birth, God uh, sees us together. Do you want to say something, Graham? I do. Uh, just to say that um, October is uh, Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month and the 15th of October particularly. Um, so that's a date that churches might like to bear in mind and just acknowledge during that month at some point that there will probably be members of the congregation who've lost a baby and haven't said anything or who lost a baby many years ago. I mean, we, we said we had a club that we didn't know existed. Um, randomly in conversation, um, I found out the other day that a colleague of mine uh, lost her son. Um, you know, and <clears throat> just to acknowledge that that these people exist and they walk with us among us and they carry this this burden, mm. um, <clears throat> and perhaps you know to pray for them, uh, but just that public acknowledgement, yeah, may well be enough. Yeah. Thank you. yeah, and you also mentioned that you um, have created a a support group for parents. Um, born sleeping and and how do you find that so if we're surrounding families another element of being first thousand day friendly is is how do we check in with mom and dad how do we uh, give them the space to grieve whether it's things like helping them with the laundry or pick up the other kids or organizing someone to clean the house or as you mentioned yeah. cook a meal and come talk um 
and the support also within that group. How do you want to just give us a quick uh, yep. overview? Of I, how think, that I think the two things that people struggle with most in the early days of grief is one, um, no one understands what I'm going through, mm-hmm. and two, it's going to be like this forever, mm-hmm. and that's how you feel. And born sleeping has been amazing to say we share our story. And the people hear our story and they go, this person understands what I'm experiencing. And then they look at us and we are now, whatever it is, 14 years down the track. And they can say, there is a possibility that this might end um, at some point. And and those two things, I think, give people hope, you know, that it's not going to be like this forever. Um, and that there is a possibility, you know, um, of that there are people out there who understand, who truly understand what I'm going through. Um, so the, I think those are the two big things that we try and achieve through born sleeping. And those are the two things I think that give the most hope to parents when they're in the depths of grief. And where can people find the support group um, if they're wanting to join or refer someone? We, we have a, a, a website and there's a Facebook group, um, neither of which are particularly active. The best thing is to drop us an email on bornsleeping at gmail.com. Yeah. So the Facebook group is bornsleeping ZA. Um, the email is bornsleeping at gmail.com. Okay, great. We will send that out with the reflection that we do for the lunchtime conversation. Um but uh, just to quickly sort of wrap up, it's also praying, so sending out prayers for families. Um, and I know many of the churches also have WhatsApp groups for praying. So um, it's mm-hmm. maybe seeing what prayer requests that the families have and praying for that family um, and creating that warm, welcoming space, as you mentioned, so that families don't feel like they can't go to church after this, but knowing that they have uh, a church that's understanding where they're at and allowing them to grieve. Um, and collaborating and refer is looking at uh, other organizations that are in your community to offer support to grieving families. Um, and as you mentioned, there's SANS, which is the UK uh, branch, but I know that there's many across in different countries. Um, and others, um, yeah, other organizations like yourselves who, who support parents going through grief and loss. Um, and I think if I um, jump in so, there quickly, honey. Um, so obviously, being from southern suburbs, Cape Town, we're we're all English. But I think we need to bear in mind that there are other groups available for people of other uh, language groups. So, for example, there is um, Mamas Met Engela, which is a, runs from kind of Durbanville side, uh, mm-hmm. which does a very similar kind of thing to what we do. Uh, but there are a number of other organizations. And actually, if you go onto Facebook, is the easiest place to find them, oddly enough. Um, if you go onto Facebook, you'll see, certainly if you look at our webpage, we've tried to, or at our Facebook group, we've tried to link to as many of those other organizations as well, uh, just so that people can find the right group for where they're at and, and what they need. Yeah, great. And I think you. also um, to mention the Compassion of Friends. They're a fantastic yeah. organization and they're countrywide. Um, they're different in that they support parents who've lost a child of any age. Um, and so losing a child in the first thousand days or before birth is, is, is a fairly unique experience. So that's why we set up something of our own. But mm-hmm. the Compassionate Friends are an amazing organization and they're much more widespread than we are. So um, okay. worth having a look at. Okay. Yeah, Great. Well. Thank you. 
Thank you. And there, um, there are many other organizations that I know is listed on your website, as you mentioned. Um, and so in the lunchtime reflection that we send out, we'll put all those details because I think you're right, Nicole, there's different languages, different age groups as well, Grim, and yeah, and across the country versus local. Um, so that's great. But thank you so much. So I just want to say thank Sorry, you. Sorry, so I'm going to jump in again just to say I'm fairly sure that load I'm going to be load shed in a moment. So if I just, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I just want to say thanks for, for coming. I know load shedding is about to hit. So, but thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate you sharing your hearts and your personal experiences, but also, um, yeah, with the group today. Um, so thank you. Okay, so we heard from Graham and Nicole about uh, their experiences, but also shed a lot of light on the stats and other organizations that are around and tips on how we as churches can um, support families. And I see in, in the chat box, um, uh, Reverend Marley, thank you for putting in your what's happened in your own personal life with your wife. Um, and. And, and your thoughts around that the government should be implementing something for women to prepare uh, them for things like miscarriage and stillbirths and where they can get counseling from. Um, and the fact that within some of our communities and some uh, locations that people laugh at moms and dads who've had miscarriages or stigmatize the mom um, when she loses a baby. So I uh, thank you for that, um, those comments. I don't know if there's anybody else that has any questions for Graham or Nicole or ourselves, um, or if you have any more comments, um, or if anyone would like to speak. Um, I don't know if there, for any of the pastors that are here, um, if you have any ideas to share with one another around how can we support families in our churches, in our communities, um, who are experiencing uh, miscarriage and, and loss. Um, so does anybody have any comments you can put into the chat box or you can unmute yourself um reverend Mali, do you want to say something if you want to unmute yourself you can um or pastor fati you're with us would you like to share any thoughts on this or um so i'm seeing who is in the room that is a pastor pastor ephraim and bishop mazinho would any of you like to share how how it is in your communities and how you can speak into this Uh, Pastor Ephraim, you'd have to unmute yourself. There we go. Yes. Thank you very much for the information you gave us this uh, afternoon. It's great, really. So now, uh, I think some of the things that are causing the miscarriage is the lack of good dietary. And uh, also some maybe miscarriage. I don't know if you have, you have said what I will be saying now because my, my phone was cutting there and there. Also, uh, the, the pregnant people must also make sure they take their full course on the doctors or, the, or the, at, their, at their clinics. And um, also sometimes the lack of support from the family. Some us, you know, our school children that are getting, that are getting pregnant and finally don't get a good support from their parents or from the community. I think those are some of the things we must really put our eyes on it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pastor Ephraim. Um, so I'm going to ask Nicole to answer that because I think we have a lot of um, misinformation around what causes miscarriages, right, Nicole? So would you like to answer yeah. that? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think it's actually very difficult in terms of diet for a woman to cause a miscarriage. 
Um, you can eat an incredibly unhealthy diet and there will be nothing wrong. You know, the baby will be born. And, and the reason for that is that the human body is amazing. God has created the most amazing thing. Um, the, the mother's body will actually steal from her own body any nutrients that the baby needs. So if, for example, the mother's not eating a healthy diet and she's not getting enough calcium, the, the mother's body will actually strip calcium from her own bones in order to ensure that the baby has enough calcium to make its bones. So I think with diet, it's, it's quite difficult. I think it would be quite rare for a mom's diet to cause a miscarriage. I think what can cause a miscarriage is if the mom is taking medication that hasn't been issued by a doctor and isn't being taken under doctor's supervision, then I think there's a potential for medication to, to cause a problem. Um, and that's just because a lot of medication can actually pass from the mother to the baby. And, and that is where the, the difficulty comes. So I think any medication that a, that a mom, a pregnant mom is taking must be taken under doctor's supervision. Just to make sure, it's not to say that it will cause a miscarriage, uh, but just to make sure that there are no complications in that regard. Um, things like smoking and alcohol, those can definitely cause problems. Um, any kind of illicit illegal drug that can obviously cause problems as well. So those are things that, that we need to watch out for. Um, yeah, and I totally agree with you in terms of, of supporting, you know, school age children who, who fall pregnant and the stigma that is attached to that and the lack of support that those moms get that, I mean, that's huge. That really is huge. And it is something that the government needs to address. I know they're trying. I know certainly the education departments are trying really hard to address it and to support those learners, but it is very difficult when the environment that those girls are coming from is not supportive um, and more needs to be done, definitely. Thanks, Nicole. And so, yeah, they, I just want to say that um, even a mum, as you said, Nicole, smoking and alcohol and drugs could potentially cause a miscarriage. I want to add in the could because it's not even that some, you know, we want to say to mums that they don't cause the miscarriage because I think a lot of mums carry that shame and guilt. And as Graham mentioned in the video, that you're always thinking, what if, what if? Um, and we need to remove that shame and guilt and that feeling responsible when dealing with grief. Um, yes, there are things that can cause it, but it's, yeah, um, we want to be, mums can't do anything uh, on purpose, should I say, to, to cause miscarriages like that. And Graham, would you like to say something? Just to say another stat we were given in London was that um, the rate of stillbirth and miscarriage in, in the UK has come down uh, constantly but it's hit a plateau. And there is this rate of stillbirth and, and um, miscarriage that there is no explanation for. Nicole likened it to cot death. Uh, there, there simply is no reason why this pregnancy is unsustainable. And um, so that is always something to bear in mind that there is that percentage of, of neonatal or, or stillbirth or, or miscarriage that just simply happens. Um, and yeah. Yeah, thanks, Graham. And uh, when we were talking before the video, um, I was uh, mentioning how there, there is some news articles coming out now and research showing that there has been a link to an increase in stillbirth with COVID. And I think in a time where mental health, uh, where families are already being challenged, 
where we spoke of teenage pregnancy a few weeks back on lunchtime conversation we've spoken about caring for families with disabilities children with disabilities um, we've spoken about self-care and mental health um, at a time now where where uh, yeah, communities and families are facing a lot of um, challenges. We're now seeing an increase um, in stillbirths and it's still being looked at as to why. Um, and Graham made a comment of uh, blood clotting factors may play a part, um, but it's more around how do we support families um, going through grief and loss in a time where, yeah, there's already heightened uh, anxieties, heightened stress, heightened, um, yeah, sense of loss anyway with uh, COVID. So um, I think as churches, we, we have to be very aware of that. And I like what Graham said around the 15th of October being um, a day that as churches, we could remember those families that have uh, gone through loss of any child, um, but yeah, um, specifically those with miscarriages and stillborns. Um, and especially because we do have that uh, thought that you know baby wasn't born yet as you said nicole uh, baby's not a not a person yet um you know we'll move on from that actually it's the same same kind of grief and loss and we need to recognize that um and god loved as the scripture that ruth read to us earlier god loves every being and makes every being in the womb so yeah the loss is is uh, the same regardless of of age of baby um, I don't know if anybody else has any other questions or comments. Um, I see um, yeah, Bishop Mazzino or uh, Jose and Detrito, you ladies as flourish ladies. Do you have any, any comments or questions around the mums that you are supporting? I see Venetia's actually put something in the chat box. Um, so you've said as a flourish host, you find uh, you have to apply empathy quite often, especially when dealing with the grieving mum. Um, sometimes all they need is just someone to be there and feeling with them, no Bible verse needed uh, necessarily. And I think that's, yeah, from what we, we heard in the videos, sometimes when your mom is struggling with her own faith and angry, as you mentioned, Nicole, um, with why has God done this? Um, yeah, the, the Bible verses are not needed in that moment. I don't, Nicole, do you want to speak more into that? And as you said, it's having people around you who prayed for you to be those yeah. Uh, warriors. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I, you know, as, as I said in the video, it's scripture verses are true and they are reliable and, and we need them. But there are times where actually it's the last thing that you need to hear. And, and scripture speaks to that. It, you know, it talks about don't rub salt into a wound. It, it talks about come alongside and mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't say come and quote scripture verses of those who are mourning. Um, and I think those when you're in the depth of, of grief, the last thing you want to hear is that God's in control or that, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love God. It, it just isn't helpful at that time. It's not to say it's not true, but there are more practical ways of being able to show love and support to someone. Um, and yeah. particularly, I think, because losing a child does start a journey for many people, does start a journey of questioning their faith and just throwing scripture at people outside of the context of a loving relationship, outside of being that person's confident um, being their, you know, their best friend or their spouse, it actually just wounds more than it helps. And, and what they need is a practical demonstration. They need you to be Jesus' hands and feet to them, not to preach at them, really. So um, as a personal share for those in the room who may not know, but my 
my mom lost my brother uh, at birth, so stillbirth due to complications and also a part of SANS in Zimbabwe. Um, but we weren't Christians at that point. Um, so we weren't part of a faith community and what caused or gave us our faith was actually having a faith community come around us and support us and encourage and pray and seeing that love. Um, so it was the love of the people in church, but it was actually ultimately showing God's love. And so now as a family, we all have a very strong faith. Um, and so as much as a really hard and devastating loss, and it was 30 years ago now, or 31 years ago, um, so as much as it was hard, it actually really uh, gave us our faith. And through that, we saw saw God. And so just want to encourage you that even for families that are not in your church, who are going through grief and loss, uh, being, as you said, Nicole, the hands and feet of Jesus and showing God's heart can really turn uh, families to God and grow their faith. So thank you for sharing. I don't if there's uh, no more comments, um, I'm going to ask, I see Pastor Fati, you said you're from LRC. Um, and I know that uh, knowing you that your sister has gone through this, um, this year through this process and she's still grieving. grieving. Um, and there's a lot that's come from that. As you mentioned, she did sterilization and it's actually caused more trauma for her. Um, and not just her, but your family and your extended family. So um, it's you as, as the brother, but also your wife and other family members. So we see how loss doesn't just affect mom or just dad, it's actually the whole extended family. Um, and so as a church, we need to come around the whole family. Nicole? Can I jump in there, Bryony, just to, to yeah talk to that exactly? I think. Often in this journey, we focus so much on the mom primarily and then possibly on the dad sometimes. And we completely forget for grandparents, it's the loss of a grandchild. For siblings of the mom, it's a loss of a niece or a nephew. And children are such a blessing. And I think we forget that there are other people who are also grieving and who don't know how to, to deal with their loss. And so I think when, as a church, as we come around you know, these, these families, not to forget that there are extended members of the family who are also being affected by it and who also need to experience the love of God in that moment, um, who also need someone to come alongside and sit and cry with them. Um, just because they're not the mom doesn't mean they're not grieving, that they're not also experiencing that loss. Yeah, and even as you probably, you had with your daughter, also mm. your sister, right, uh, Graham? Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to address. One of the best pieces of advice we were given um, as we said, Janelle was 17 months old when Zoe died and the bereavement midwife that helped us through the, through the delivery um, said that we needed to include Janelle in our grieving. She said that at that age, uh, the child's very um, self-centered. And so anything that, that happens, they believe they're responsible for. And so if they became aware that we were grieving they would assume that they had done something to cause that. And so we were privileged to be able to take her to the hospital to see her sister. Um, and she took a little toy to give to her sister. And we said goodbye to her sister as they wheeled her back to the, to the morgue. Um, mm -hmm. And for many years afterwards, she would um, acknowledge her sister's existence um, when she was feeling sad, we'd ask her, you know, are you all right? She said, I'm just thinking about Zoe. Um, and to include her in that grief and allow her to process her feelings. Um, yeah, that, that's also very, very important. So yeah. remember to include your other children 
or to encourage members yeah. of the community to include the other children in that grief. Yeah. Thank you, Graham. And I know that is something that I know from my experience back in the day that wasn't done, <laughs> that children were not included. Uh, now it's something we are being made more aware of. And so, uh, yeah, just to encourage as you support families uh, to encourage their children to also go through the grief. Um, and so I know we've run out of time, but um, I am going to send out there is a lunchtime conversation reflection. It's a PDF that we send uh, after every lunchtime conversation um, to the WhatsApp group, the broadcast group. And so if you just click on that, it is data free. Um, but in it, I will have links to all of the organizations that we've spoken about in the video, but also others that we've uh, found uh, to be able to refer mom and dad to to get support. Um, and so I hope that that will help. So please do look out for it. Um, and as we wrap up, I'm going to ask uh, Nicole or Graham, would you like to pray for us as a, a group here? One of you likes to do that, Nicole. Am I picking on you? Okay. Sure, not a problem. Thank you so much. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of life. We thank you that you are the God who not only creates but continues to create new life in us. We thank you for the gift of children and for the blessing that they are. And we ask for your wisdom and your guidance in helping us to help those who have lost their child for whatever reason. Lord, that, that deep grief, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to come around them, what to say, what to do, and how to walk alongside them in their grief. Father, for those who have lost their, their children, I just pray that you would walk a road with them, Lord, that you would hold them close, that they would know that, that your hands surround them, that you have not abandoned them, that you are with them and you, and you walk through that valley with them, Lord, alongside and, and holding them. We pray your, your comfort to them and pray that you would bring them through safely to the other side. Thank you for this time to be able to, to chat about this, this issue and others. And we just pray your blessing upon Sukunya as they hold these various meetings in, over the year uh, to just bless and uplift community members, church leaders, etc. Father, bless them in their work. And thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. So I just want to say thank you, Nicole and Graham, for sharing vulnerably your experience and for joining us today. And thank you for all of you in the in the room today. I know that this is Amen. Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Pastor Stoli. Um, I know many of you said that some of you can relate to this, um, but thank you so much for, for sharing and do look out for the, the reflection that will come with all the, um, the recording and also all the organizations that can help uh, support you or your family or families that you're supporting. Okay. Um, so thank you very much. And if um, you want to leave, for those that don't know, there's a big red button that says leave meeting. Um, but we look forward to seeing you in uh, two weeks time for the next lunchtime conversation. So have a good, a good weekend and rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you for listening in today to the Sakunya podcast. We trust it has given you ideas of what you can be doing to support families in the first thousand days. Have a look at the links in the podcast description to access resources mentioned in this recording. And remember to go to sakunya.org.za to find out more and take further steps in strengthening families so that all children can get a strong start to life.